Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. How are you going today? Hi, Grant. Today I am super well because I'm really excited to be here to talk about one of my favorite things, and that is trends. Everybody loves a good trends report, especially at the start of the year, and we're at the start of our podcast season now. And today we're going to be talking about a new trends report that's just been released by global market intelligence firm Mintel. It's the 2023 Global Packaging Trends Report, And joining us all the way from Philadelphia is Global Packaging Director David Luttenberger. Welcome to the podcast, David. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. To to our audience who you may not know that well, because you operate in the U.S. largely, David, tell us a little bit about your background in packaging. You have some packaging qualifications and you have been working in the packaging world for quite some time. We'd like to know more. Oh, thank you. Yes, I've been in the packaging business uh, for a little bit more than 30 years now. Started in printing and converting. Uh, I ran a small research and innovation company for a few years. Uh, But for the past 12 years, I've been involved in the consumer insight side. And for the past almost 10 years now, as the global packaging director at Mintel, where I have responsibility for brands, retailers, package manufacturers, and helping them understand what consumers are doing and why, and what that means in context with packaging, packaging innovations, packaging solutions, sustainable packaging, all things packaging. Well, it's a really exciting time to be in packaging, isn't it? It's um, There's just innovation flying, flying around the world and off the shelves, but there's also a lot of scrutiny on packaging, it's it's quite often in the spotlight as the bad guy. It certainly is, but I think you have to put it sort of into context. For the past 130 years, we really have only asked packaging to do a couple of things, to safely transport, dispense, distribute packaging, and we're asking so much more of it right now, whether it's through social or technology or environmental or legal, that consumers want that packaging nirvana. They want it all or nothing, and it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. So we have to kind of put those wants and needs in context with what's going on around the world and how we can deliver packaging solutions to consumers that meet their needs, but without compromising the things they've always come to love and trust. Now, that's Mintel's job, is researching to find out what those needs are and also finding out what packaging has to deliver. Tell me a little bit about Mintel's work that it does. Every day, we're talking to thousands of consumers around the world about what they do, what their lifestyles are, what their purchasing behaviors are, uh, what their likes and dislikes, what's their income, do they have children in the house, do they have maybe parents living with them. So we really look at all the things that surround their lives and then speak to them about what they're looking for, what they're happy with, what they what they dislike, what they like about brands, what they dislike maybe about packaging. So we really uh, are in tune with their needs, and we help our clients, brands, retailers, package manufacturers, understand not only what consumers want, but why specifically do they want certain things. So why I was so interested in this report when it came out was – that you had 
presented it within the framework. You called it a PESTEL framework. That's P-E-S-T-E-L. And um, I thought that this was a novel way of presenting trends and how they are impacting consumer decisions. Could you tell us what PESTEL stands for? And then we'll explore more deeply what that, how that has influenced trends. Yeah, so PESTEL is an acronym. It stands for Political, Environmental, Social, Technical, Economic, and Legal. And what a PESTEL analysis does is really allows brands to look at forces that impact the things they do from outside of their doors, whereas the old SWOT analysis, which was the uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, are really the things that you could control internally. With all that's going on in the world right now, you know, coming off the pandemic, um, a lot of you know things happening, like with the war in the Ukraine, uh, economic crisis, we thought it'd be better to look differently at packaging this year because what we've seen. Over the years, the decades that I've been in packaging, is that, that technologies in packaging happen relatively slowly, typically more of an evolutionary process than revolutionary. So everybody knows about post-consumer recycled content, the war on plastics, and we thought rather than look at packaging from a technology perspective this year, let's help our clients, the brand owners, the retailers, the package manufacturers, look at things that are outside of their direct control and really make this year's trends more of a checklist. So any discipline within your organization can look at this pestle analysis and say, these are the forces that we need to work with or work against. And so far, uh, everyone we've presented to really likes it. It's a very different perspective, a different way. And it really is sort of a sign of the times almost like a checklist rather than us rattling off, you know, what's happening with, you know, post-consumer recycled content or compostability, those sorts of things. Well, let's look at those six aspects. Political factors. We've had a tumultuous time in the last while with the war in Ukraine, as you mentioned, with the pandemic and other factors. Can you talk us through the key political events that have influenced packaging? Well, certainly. I think when we look at a pestle analysis and how it's impacting packaging, we have to sort of uh, bookend it, look at the political and the legal together, mm -hmm. because a lot of the things we're seeing beyond the war in Ukraine, beyond OPEC and its production of oil, those sorts of things, uh, beyond the uh, the tumultuous, you know, elections in, in South America and in Latin America, the upcoming U.S. election in 2024, these, those are things that are impacting the consumers and actually making our society sort of divided. But on the other side of that, the things that are impacting packaging from a political standpoint are plastics bans, uh, extended producer responsibility, and looking at things that are happening politically and what ramifications do they have on brands legally? Do I have to comply? How will I comply? How much will that compliance cost me? So just to kind of keep uh, you know, top of mind how the political and the legal bookends of the pestle analysis are really coming together and they're almost inseparable. So would you say that 2023 is going to be a year in which brand owners and packaging manufacturers need to prepare for a regulatory increase? Absolutely. We, and we see that across the board in pretty much every country um, that we operate in. I mean, just today I read that uh, the famous chocolate Toblerone 
is not going to be manufactured in Switzerland anymore, so they can't use the little Matterhorn logo yes, on their package. I read that now too. That's, it's very interesting because we have one of the most iconic brands and brand logos and triangle-shaped packaging that's being impacted by a law in Switzerland that said if the product is not made in Switzerland, you can't use any reference found in Switzerland to market it. So things that we might not even have thought about in the past, you know, how are we going to present brands uh, in a way that they are politically and socially correct or that they fall within the legal ramifications? So we're going to be seeing more and more of that uh, over the coming years. So brands have to be much more prepared and they have to just kind of sometimes sit back and think about, okay, do I operate in Switzerland? Do I operate in New Zealand? What are the different on-pack languages or laws that I have to uh, be aware of? And I think we, we definitely are going to see more and more of that as the year progresses and you know through the end of the decade. Well, certainly um, consumers are not going to sit idly by either. They are taking a much more active role in demanding brands uh, meet their moral and ethical and other requirements. Absolutely. Certainly here in Australia, we have just had an announcement last week where our Australian Competition and Consumer Commission is going to have a huge crackdown on greenwashing. So brands have been getting away with saying, we're sustainable, we're green, we're this, we're that. Um, That's all going to have to change now too. So they're going to take a long, hard look at how they present themselves on shelves. What about economic factors, David? I think the economic factors is one that's hitting very close to the consumers in their pocketbooks. Um, Package innovation is important, but packaging solutions are more important. When I say packaging solutions, what I mean is we have to look at the consumers and say, do you have a different budget at the beginning of the month versus the end of the month? Should I buy the larger pack because I see the value proposition? Uh, We look at things that before the pandemic we thought were going to explode like refills. And we see that, yes, we know that in the long term, Refills are more economical for a consumer to buy, but that initial purchase is often, you know, maybe a dollar, a dollar twenty-five, you know, more expensive. And consumers say, I see the value in the long term, but today I cannot afford it. So, you know, looking at what consumers can afford, as I said earlier, based on, you know, their household income, the number of children, do they have kids going to college, are they supporting in-laws, that sort of thing. So we really have to look and find value propositions in our package innovations, things that consumers can look at and say, this solves a solution or I see a solution in this. It's not just a nice-to-have innovation, but I see the value proposition. Can I buy this, eat some of it now, freeze the other half for later? Should I buy the larger size laundry detergent because I know in the long term it's going to save me money? I'd like to buy the refill to be good for the environment, but I can't afford it because it's you know X amount more, and I just can't afford that right now. And are you saying then that it's uh, the onus is on the brand to guide the consumer to that value through the messaging, perhaps, on packaging? Absolutely, it is. It's so incumbent upon the brands to call out what that solution is 
Is it a value size? Is it does it have some type of technology uh, that preserves freshness longer? Because if I preserve freshness longer, I'm not going to be wasting food. If I don't waste food or shampoo or medicine, I won't have to throw it out. I won't be wasting my money. So if it's a if it's a spray component that allows you to spray every drop of that aerosol or of that you know shampoo rather than waste a little bit call that out on a package so consumers can understand what the value proposition is. Uh, I recently saw a technology that has uh, was infused with copper nanoparticles. Those copper nanoparticles worked against bacteria to help ensure that the food product stayed fresher longer. And they were calling it out on the package to help consumers understand, here's what this brand is going to do for you. We know things are tight with you right now. We want to help you preserve your dollars. And here's the solutions that we are providing to you. So long story short, yes, on-pack communication is so important right now for consumers. Well, that's a nice segue into the next section because packaging as the messenger also becomes that communication channel for socially responsible initiatives and actions. So if we look at the social aspect of your PESTEL framework, let's talk a little bit about those that kind of messaging. Yeah, we're seeing uh, so many consumers today in our Mintel research that consumers are telling us, I am prepared to boycott companies who behave unethically. That unethical behavior could be environmentally. It could be not paying a fair wage to their suppliers. It could be uh, not having uh, complete diversity and inclusion uh, campaigns. So consumers are not just buying products, but they're buying into Who's the brand behind the product? Do they pay women the same wage as men? Uh, do they help preserve water? Do they have fair uses for soil? Uh, those sorts of things. And that's really important to consumers because consumers today want to associate with brands that have like mindsets, like minds, uh, lifestyles, and who the consumer would say, I would be proud to tell you that I work for this company because they do this or they don't do that. So the social element is so important for brands to really have a handle on today. And what about um, messaging that recognizes the individual that aligns with a group? For example, we've just had um, World Pride here in Sydney and we had so many brands using that platform to say we are supportive we are here to hear your, uh, you know, to recognize all people um, as you are. What is your view on that? I think brands have to walk a very fine line between true support and some sort of appropriation. Mm. And I, I can't tell you where that line is, but consumers can find that line and they know when you've stepped over it. I've seen instances where a brand claimed to be the official product of a certain ethnic groups like parade or celebration without understanding that that particular group may have been more prone to alcoholism or, you know, so they were really promoting things that didn't fit with the consumer yeah. group that they were trying to associate with. And it is very, very difficult today. And that's why so many brands are now looking harder at consumer panels to say, you know, does this on-pack messaging ring true? Uh, are we just jumping on the bandwagon here or do you see us as a brand that is truly involved in this and it's something that we've always believed in that we're going to not only talk about our support but really show our support for it as well. So 
to build on that messaging capability of, of the pack in the hand, um, we have, of course, seen a huge uptick in the use of um, smart packaging and using the phone to connect via QR code and taking that technology platform to that next communication connection with the consumer, engagement with the consumer to that next level. Technological factors, talk me through those and packaging. We call it connected packaging, where you connect a package through some sort of maybe mobile app or mobile mm. engagement for consumers. Um, we have gone past the point of where we used to talk about so many apps and connected packaging. We're all about fun. Share a recipe with me. You know, mm. Let me see what you're doing. Consumers today, they want information. They want to know, how is this better? Why is this better? Can I feed this to my child? What's the efficacy of this product? So with this connected packaging and technology, we've seen it move very quickly from fun to functional. I want it to work for this reason. Yes, we all want to be entertained, but not necessarily at the point of sale. I just need to know right now. I want to scan this and say, does it have allergens? Is it gluten-free? Do you support diversity and inclusion? Those sorts of things. So we all want to be entertained, but make sure that those you know digital, electronic, connected packaging experiences have some functionality and that they're easy to use. Don't make me download a proprietary app you know, to, to engage with you as a brand, make it an open platform. And what about the influence of influencers in this whole equation? What we see is that these social media influencers really do have a lot of true influence. That's who real consumers look to for real product reviews, for real information. Uh, I've always, for the past year or so, whenever I talk to brands, I say, who do you have as a social media influencer? How are you connecting with your consumers on social media? Because that's who consumers believe today. We see fewer consumers actually believing brands that they are doing things that are good for the environment or that are good you know, from a social aspect. But if you have a social media influencer, that's who consumers look to. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge social media user, but I truly understand the importance of those influencers and how they can impact brands and have a positive impact on the consumers who engage with those brands. And you mentioned there that one of the, the uh, call-outs is environmental factors. Is it, is the, what is that brand doing that's good or bad for the environment? And the influencer might communicate that to their millions of followers. Let's talk about environmental factors, where they fit into your Pestel framework. The environmental factors, sustainability. Um, I've been working in packaging 30 years. I've been highly involved with sustainability for 20 years. I have stopped trying to use the term sustainable and have gone to what I call responsible. Because if you tell someone you need to act more sustainably, they may look at you and say, yeah, okay, I'm not sure what that means. But if you tell someone you need to be more responsible, it's more intuitive, it's more personal, and they understand what I call the hyper-actionability. I know what I did. I know what I need to do to correct that action. I know what I need to do to be more responsible. So that whole idea of environmental responsibility it's, it is much more personal and it's intuitive to consumers to understand what is my role in being responsible rather than just saying, yes, I'd like to be more sustainable. And climate change, um, that is one of the, our defining global threats 
today um, with consequences that are fueling environmental degradation, natural disasters. Where does packaging fit into that? I prefer, I mean, what we've seen so much about, we have to eliminate packaging. We have to eliminate plastics. And I tell people, you would never want to live in a world without plastics. Plastics have many good uses, as do glass, as does paperboard, as does aluminum, as does metal. However, rather than just calling for bans on plastic and saying we have to eliminate packaging, what we always encourage is package optimization versus elimination. Let's understand how to use the right package, the right amount of package, the right material for the region that we're in, the product that we're using, uh, what end of life uh, options may be for that package. So rather than just saying we need to eliminate all of this, what consumers call wasteful packaging, let's help them understand why in this use occasion, this is maybe why we are using a plastic bag or a multi-laminate bag because it will help preserve freshness. Um, it may be that uh, the transportation costs are significantly lower, which then reduces greenhouse gas emissions and transportation. So let's help them understand that we are optimizing packaging and trying to be more responsible with our packaging and push package responsibility and optimization versus package elimination. So in your report, it says packaging is just one component in complex circular economic strategy. Circular economy obviously is a huge buzzword. It's almost supplanted sustainability now. Technological innovations and social responsibility will converge with eco issues and force brands and package manufacturers to create a singular umbrella strategy. That's what the report says. And that's certainly what we're seeing playing out, even though it's not in place yet. It's where, where companies packaging manufacturers, legislation, governments, where we're all aiming, that circular, closing that loop um, and having a true circular economy. Crucial to that, of course, is having good recycling infrastructure. Tell me where the recycling fits into the environmental um, aspect of your PESTEL report. What I talked about before in terms of responsibility, uh, consumers believe they are being responsible if they recycle regardless of the fact that the majority of our recycling systems around the world are broken. Uh, but it's easy for consumers to do. They understand it. Um, in our Mintel sustainability barometer, for instance, we saw that 74% of U.S. consumers believe that they were properly recycling, that they were sorting, washing, and recycling all their packaging materials correctly. Uh, I would like to believe that's true, but we know it's not. Because if it was, you know, high-quality, food-grade um, recycled content would not be priced twice the price uh, as virgin materials. Mm -hmm. So we just have to help consumers understand, yes, we need to recycle more, but we cannot recycle our way out of climate change. Uh, recycling is one small piece of the overall puzzle that we have to put together to make sure that we, you know, stop, reverse, you know, climate change. And one of the biggest things that we see is rather than just saying, well, we're being sustainable in our transportation. We're being sustainable in our production. Mintel truly believes that total carbon footprint will be that standard with by the end of the decade because it's very quantifiable. It's measurable. It's reportable. And we can say we've reduced our carbon footprint by X number of tons 
in sourcing, in transportation, in production, and those standards are universal no matter where you are, you are around the world. So the idea of being sustainable is great. Uh, climate change certainly is one of the top three concerns that we saw in our sustainability barometer uh, that consumers around the world are interested in. I don't believe consumers necessarily need to understand the circular economy. What they really need to understand, and again, it's incumbent upon package manufacturers, brands, and retailers to help them understand carbon footprint and how we can reduce that carbon footprint. And that's really going to be that standard by which we measure all things environmental, all things sustainable, all things responsible. We did bookend, um, the, when we started the discussion, we did bookend and say legal, political and legal go together. Um, but legal is the last pillar of the PESTEL framework. Is there anything else you wanted to say on that, David? See, I think on the legal side, we're, we're just going to continue to see more and more legislation. It's so important that those in the packaging industry explain the science of packaging to those who are making the laws because so many times we see laws that are enacted because consumers don't understand the science behind packaging and while sometimes plastic may be better for the environment than paper while uh, some paper may be recyclable you know when other people say well it's it's 20% saturated with grease. We can't recycle it. You know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. so we have to really help the consumers understand and get them to understand a little bit of the real science behind packaging. Uh, things like just because a package includes recycled content does not necessarily mean that it's recyclable. Uh, that compostable packaging, probably 99% of it is industrial compostable, mm -hmm. not home compostable. So it really relies, again, on that transparency by the brands, but also to just to make it easier for consumers to understand and understand what I talked about before, that hyper-actionability. What have you done as a brand? And what are you helping me as a consumer to understand what I can do to reduce my carbon footprint or what we're now calling our carbon handprint? Um, but if we don't get a handle on this and if we don't begin to explain in very simple terms to consumers the science, we're, we're never going to get to that point where we're enacting legislation that is rooted in science rather than rooted in the fact that I'm just doing as a lawmaker what my constituents want me to do so I can get reelected. Well, that certainly makes sense. And we often find that, as you said, the legislators are not in the know and um, it is incumbent on the packaging industry to educate them. Now, before we uh, move on, I, I just want to remind listeners that um, we will be putting a link in the show notes so that they can download the Mintel 2023 Global Packaging Trends Report. So, David, let's look now at the th three uh, big categories of product market sectors. Let's start with food and drink. Tell me what brand owners really need to know or what recommendations uh, Mintel is giving brand owners in the food and drink space about their packaging decisions. I think for food and drink, the number one thing I would say to look at is value and how do I present a package that the value proposition is overt or at the very least intuitive for consumers to look at it and to understand the brand understands me as a consumer 
They know my needs. They know my purchasing habits, you know, and how does this package deliver food that's a good value for my family, that's nutritious, uh, that is safe and uh, maintains that freshness and that quality for as long as possible. And at the same time, give me that that environmental piece as well. Help me understand how you're happy. Uh, how you're working to optimize the packaging for food and drinks that you are supplying to me. There are three suggestions that are down in this report, which I really liked. Um, And it all comes down to clear and simple communication. That's going to be really essential because if you think of the food and drink category, it is crowded. There are new products coming on shelf all the time um, and consumers are getting fatigued. So, um, to inspire consumers to embrace new cooking methods through your packaging, to pare down to connect with overwhelmed shoppers. Um, so to keep it really simple on pack as well. And um, yeah, to help consumers make that positive choice and feel good about their purchase. Now, moving on then, if we look at the beauty and personal care packaging space, this is a whole different ball game. Tell me what you think there. The beauty and personal care space lags all other end-use categories, particularly in the, in the area of environmental responsibility. They are working on it, but they've got a long way to go. Uh, but I think for the beauty and personal care space, a lot of that is really around the social aspect, about diversity and inclusion, about individuality, about rights and identity as we identify in the Mintel trends, helping consumers express themselves but also doing it in a way that makes them feel good as well. So anything we can do with packaging uh, that makes it easier for them to use the product. Uh, We know so much of beauty and personal care uh, products are wasted. So again, offer them those solutions and help them understand how can I maintain the efficacy or how can I maintain the safety uh, of this product that you're going to ingest or apply to your body. Um, But I think for beauty and personal care, the biggest thing I would point to in a pestle analysis is uh, the social aspect and how to create packaging that I don't want to say universal, but is inclusive and helps consumers feel included, but also, you know, maintains their, their identity uh, as, a, as a single person. And I guess this would be one of those areas where the social media influences would play a huge role. Huge, yeah. Absolutely. Particularly when you look so much today about identity um, and how we're trying to help consumers understand that what you see in social media, you know, isn't always real and help them get a sense that no matter how you look, it's okay. Then looking a little bit more behind the scenes, not as glamorous as beauty, not as delicious as food and drink, household products, (laughs) but still very essential. Um, What are your recommendations for household care packaging? For household care packaging, I think probably the, the key thing here, again, similar to beauty and personal care, but it's, it's about efficacy and value. We see so many refill options in the household care space that are just fabulous packaging technologies using pods, using capsules, waterless formulas, those sorts of things. But we have to help consumers understand that the price point of some of these refills you know, we have to work on that to, to show the real value of them over time rather than just the cost at the point of sale. So I think when we look across all three of these categories, the same holds true is what's the solution here? What's the value proposition? Is it safe? Is it hygienic? But overall, to help communicate that to the consumer, 
I like to engage in what I call show and tell graphics. It's great if you can tell me how to use a product or how to use the package. Give me a little picture and show me. I love it. But if you combine them in what I call this show and tell packaging graphics, it's very clear. It's very succinct. You open it like this. You dispense it like this. You use it like this. Consumers really respond to that. You know, two or three panels on the back of a pack that show me and tell me how to use that or show me and tell me what the value proposition is. Show me and tell me what the safety and hygiene factor is. That to me, the show and tell graphics are something that the brand should be uh, exploiting much more to their advantage. Certainly makes sense. And thank you, David, for joining us today, for showing and telling us a whole lot more than I ever knew before about packaging trends, um, current and future. So once again, everybody, you can go to the show notes to download uh, the Global Packaging Trends Report 2023 by Mintel. Thank you, David, for joining us. I want to thank PKN for inviting myself and Mintel to participate. It was uh, our privilege. Thank you. Well, thank you, David. Thanks, Lindy. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media. 